0: I don't really mind goodbyes, which may sound like a really terrible, horrible thing to confess to. Goodbyes were kind of a part of my childhood. I'm a Navy brat. My dad was career military. So for most of my childhood, for my early years, it was constant goodbyes. Um, I joke, but it's not really a joke. I lived in a different city, state, or country every three years, a different house almost every year. Literally did not know what spring cleaning was until I was 12 or 13. Didn't live anywhere long enough for dust to gather on the blinds. So I was pretty comfortable with goodbyes, but I'll tell you what I don't like, not having closure. Um, Because a goodbye, as long as there's closure, is okay, but it's a goodbye where there's not any closure that's kind of rough. Now I'm looking at you seniors during COVID, because you were robbed of that closure, right? You're like ramping up towards the end, like you get to be celebrated, and then, just kidding, everything is canceled. Right, Um, There wasn't an opportunity for closure. I just want you to know I see you and I feel that. And I know that for many of you, there were a lot of different things that you missed um, because of something that was out of your control. Um, and so you didn't get to have that closure as part of this goodbye or this transition. I know for a lot of people their wedding plans looked very different, their family reunion plans looked very different, saying goodbye to loved ones looked really different, because um, there just wasn't an opportunity for closure in a lot of these different situations. Now, I think in this text, in First Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul was having a lot of the same feels as well, um, because as Nick talked about last week, like, Paul had to flee, like, in the middle of the night, and the, the guy he was staying at, like, he got arrested and had to pay, like, this huge hefty fine, and so there wasn't an opportunity for him to have this closure with the church that was there. Uh, he didn't have this opportunity to kind of part. It was just, like, mid-ministry moment that he had to just up and leave, um, so we hear some of that passion, some of that voice um, in our passage tonight. So if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Um, If not, use your phone, pull up the Bible app, the YouVersion. We've got some notes in there under events if you want to follow along, or if you just prefer to listen, that's fine too. Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So this is embedded after some of the introductions and things that happened, and Paul's talking about this ministry, and he's, he's mentioning that he was so distraught, so upset, so devastated to have to leave them when he hadn't been there for that long and was wanting to do so much ministry, so much teaching, so much encouraging to set them up for spiritual success and that he has to leave. In fact, he was so upset about it that he and Silas, are like, hey, um, Timothy, why don't you just go and check on them? Like, we can't go because we'll be arrested. And that doesn't sound like very effective kingdom work right now. Um, So we're going to send you, Timothy, to go check on them and take this letter and go see how they're doing and let us know how they're doing. And, And then Timothy comes back with this incredible report. See, this was a young church that they had to leave, and and he was worried about the hardships that they were going to encounter, because the hardships were going to come. I mean, when Paul was with them, he'd recently just gotten out of jail in Philippi, and was, you know, in and out of of prison for different things for for his kingdom work. Um, So it was evident that the life of a believer is going to have hardships, for a variety of different reasons. And he was worried that because he hadn't been able to mentor and disciple and teach them for very long, that as they encountered these hardships, as they encountered the suffering, that it would cause their faith to weaken and maybe even to crumble. So, he wanted them to understand suffering, and he wanted them to understand the opportunity that could be there. But when we don't understand the gospel opportunity of suffering, and if you want to hear more about that, you should go back and listen on our YouTube channel to one of the sermons from last year, um, because we talk about the gospel and suffering. Paul wanted to make sure that they had this foundation, and he was worried about them. He also wanted to celebrate their continued faith that he hears when Timothy gets back. There's two specific charges that I want to give from two different directions. One's an outward charge, and the other is more of an inward charge today. So the first thing is, what did Paul tell them, and what is it that he is telling us in this text? And he is telling us that when you witness hardship, act. When you are someone who sees hardship in the life of someone else, when you see them suffering, going through difficult times, no matter how big or how small, we have a gospel opportunity, and I would even say a gospel mandate, to act. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 through 12. Let's walk through these verses again real quickly. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker. See, I think it's interesting because Paul had so poured into Timothy that he could entrust this precious church to Timothy as well. So the discipleship and the opportunity that Paul took advantage of there. Um, In the gospel of Christ, so it's not by their strength, it's by Christ, Right? To establish and exhort you in your faith. Now, this is interesting, right? Because you want to make sure that you are establishing and exhorting someone that is in a healthy spiritual position, because you don't want to encourage them to continue on an unhealthy spiritual trajectory, correct? Um, So he was sending Timothy to, to check on them and to make sure they're established, and then from making sure that they were solidly established to then exhort and encourage them. That no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. So it was going to happen. We've told you about it. This is when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. And this is just as it has come to pass, and just as you know, for this reason. So he told them it was going to happen, and it did happen. And he wanted to make sure that they remembered the spiritual truths that he had taught them. For this reason, I could bear it no longer. I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Okay, so maybe it's just me, but maybe when you're on social media and you're used to checking in with people, then all of a sudden they're not there anymore. And you're like, are they okay? Maybe they were just taking a sabbatical from it. Maybe they just decided they don't need all of the notifications going through. They were just done with that thing. But I don't know about you, but when when I want to check in on someone and I can't, I get really worried. Or how about when you forget your phone, and then you get home and your parents are like, you're alive. You know, because they couldn't reach you for just a minute, right? They wanted to see how you were. They wanted to hear from you, to know how you were doing. And when they can't get a hold of you or you can't get a hold of someone else, then it's just like, huh all the possibilities of what could possibly be happening. And, I mean, I think you guys know this, but Paul didn't have an Instagram account or Snapchat. Uh, He didn't have a cell phone or any telephone. And so getting communication and talking to and interacting with this church was a different kind of challenge, right? And he was really, really worried about them. He had to know how they were. So what is Paul doing? And what can I challenge you guys? How do we witness these hardships and how are we supposed to act and the first thing I want to encourage you to act is to be with people see when when Paul was in Thessalonica he was with the people there he knew their stories he knew their names he knew of their faith and even when he had to leave his heart was still with him and he was eager to return again it wasn't out of sight out of mind for Paul he still cared for and was invested with them. He was with people. And I got to tell you guys, one of my favorite stories in my own life of when someone was just with me for no other purpose than being with me was when my mother-in-law passed away. Uh, it's, it's been a while now. Um, she had a battle with cancer, um, and eventually uh, she lost the fight, and she went on to glory. Um, but I'm the in-law, right? So not to say that I'm like less significant, but I wasn't exactly center stage in the family grief. Now I loved Betty and I was close to her and my heart was absolutely broken. But my role in that position was to support and care for my husband and to help care for my in-laws. But there's this girl named Caitlin that I went to college with and she's a deep soul sister of mine. And she drove all the way from Litchfield, Illinois for a visitation to give me one hug and then to drive all the way back because she was with me. She did something that was inconvenient. She did something that cost her a lot of gas money and a lot of hours because she wanted to be with me in my grief. She said yes to an opportunity that God presented to her to be with me in hardship. I love the way that my friend Erin Davis says it. She says to crawl out on the ledge with someone just to be present with them. Is a really important and I think a gospel opportunity. So be with people. The second thing is to reach out to people. Sometimes we can't physically be with a person, right? Um, Paul could not physically be with this church, so he wrote them a letter. And he celebrated in this letter God's work in their lives. And he didn't just hope that things were well, oh, I hope that the church is doing okay. He did something about it, he took action. Now, i got to brag on my husband. He is a wonderful mountain of a man. And he is possibly the most compassionate, humble people I have ever met in my life. And he's the youth minister um, here, the youth buildings at Green Tree across the street. We've got a lot of kids in the youth ministry. Sunday school, there's like 100. Junior high, high school, that's a, that's a lot. Um, a lot of Axe body spray. Um, But anyway, so, so COVID hits, and they are in quarantine left and right, right? So, like, he's constantly getting messages after messages of these kids that are in quarantine, and he doesn't go, oh, well, I hope they're doing okay. You know what he does? He does something, and he reaches out to these students, and he delivered at least 200 care packages to teenagers during COVID over quarantine with a personally handwritten note that says, I'm thinking about you, I'm praying for you, here's some, some youth group swag, here's a couple of snacks, um, and just wanted you to know that, like, we're here and we see you. So he reached out to people where they were when they were experiencing some hardship. And I got to tell you, sometimes when we reach out to people, it's awkward. I've had plenty of inter- awkward interactions with you guys. I'm like, hey, so how's it going? You doing okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine, Shani. Okay, okay, that's cool. But you know what? Sometimes when I ask that question, you're not okay. And that one time that someone says, you know what, I'm really not, and then you open up and talk about something, it justifies all those other awkward conversations. You're like, no, I'm fine. Like, okay. You know what I mean? Like, it justifies all of those because you just embrace the awkward to be with someone and to reach out to people. You see people, you know people, you remember people. See, I think those are three things that we desperately want to be seen, known, and remembered. And three things that we desperately are afraid of is to be invisible, forgotten, and insignificant. And when we reach out to people and we do something about the hardships in their life, we're speaking gospel truth into those fears that people have. But sometimes you can't even always do that, right? And I I love that Paul sent Timothy. See, this other option that we see here is that he sent someone else. You can send other people even when you can't go. Paul sent Timothy. Now, um, my family is large and, like, continues to get larger, whatever, and they live everywhere. Um, I love that I've got family in a vacation destination in Moab, Utah. It's beautiful to go out there um, and see them. I vacation at Arches with free lodging. (laughs) Be jealous. Um, but so it's, it's great to go out there, right? And, um, but since I've come into adulthood, my aunt um, has a boyfriend that has adult children, and I had never met them. Um, but Rory, he decided to join the Army. And in case you didn't know, Fort Leonard Wood is where um, they go when they're in basic training um, for the Army. And he was graduating from boot camp, but nobody in the family was going to be able to come because it was in the middle of the week. They lived in Utah. Moab does not have a very large airport. Um, and so it was not going to be possible for them to make the trip out here. But I, I was talking to Ben. I was like, they can't, but we can. I mean, he doesn't know us, but like we can scream really loud when they call his name and we can cheer for him. So I sent Rory a message. I was like, hey, I'm the cousin you haven't met. Um, I am eight months pregnant, so the really loud, really pregnant lady is your cousin, and just wanted to tell you we want to take you to lunch afterwards, because we want to celebrate this milestone in your life. Was it maybe awkward? Sure. Um, You know, like, waddling in, I don't even know exactly who it is that I'm here for until they call his name, right, and then I'm, like, screaming like a banshee, because I've got to make up for all the voices of the rest of the family that couldn't be there. Um, But we pressed into his life, right, because we loved him. And we wanted him to know that he was loved and that he was seen. See, my family couldn't go, but someone else was able to go on their behalf. And when we do that, when we send someone else, or we are sent on behalf of someone else, it increases their circle of community. We can help introduce them to some other Christian influences in their life and help them connect even to another local church. When you invite that person with you to church, you're like, hey, I I can't do this, but here's this person, right? You're magnifying this opportunity and this connection in their lives. And the last thing I see from this passage that Paul's telling us is an opportunity here um, to act when we see hardships is to pray for people. And I know that probably sounds like, a well, yeah, of course. Okay, but do you do that actively? See, Paul was ecstatic about their report of faith and was eager to pray for them, and it's interesting because it says here that he prays for them night and day. And the really interesting part about that is when you hear that reference in Scripture, it means they were, like, really hardcore about it, because if they're getting up in the middle of the night to be praying, right, it was, like, really, really big prayer investment. And it wasn't that things were going bad. So often we pray for people and pray about things only when things are hard. But he wanted to celebrate God's work in their life and the things that they were doing and the way they have submitted to Jesus. So I want to brag on my friend Erin that I mentioned a little earlier. She is so quick to pray for people in her life. And whenever she hears something's going on, she'll text, Hey, I heard that this was happening. How can I be praying for you? I heard this was going on. How can I be praying for you? And one of my favorite things about when she asks that, she doesn't just say, Okay, I'll pray for you. She tells me how she's going to be praying for me. It puts a little bit meat on the, Okay, I'll pray for you. If she can't stop and pray for me right then, she tells me how, or she even types out her prayer for me in the text, so that I can be encouraged by that right there. So when you tell someone you're going to pray for them, first of all, do it, and tell people how you're praying for them, and even tell them when you're praying for them. Shoot them a text, hey, just wanted you to know I'm stopping to pray for you right now. It's so encouraging, because it's like, oh, you remembered you said you were going to do that. And use God's word as a template as you pray for people. Sometimes we don't know where to start. A great place to start is opening your Bible. There's a lot of different um, places we can go in scripture to use as prayer. So when you witness hardship, act. That's the outward, but what about the inward? When you go through hardship, cling. So I'm going to tell you guys to be clingy, right? Um, cling to God and cling to faith. This is not passive. This is active. We're supposed to cling. 1 Thessalonians three eleven through 13 say this, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. So he's really eager to go back to them. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Okay, so how many of you have um, younger siblings? a lot of you. How about like significantly younger? Or like nieces and nephews or like really young cousins? Okay, so most of you can probably picture this, or maybe you were this kid, right? When something makes you afraid, like I'm thinking like the little ones, right? Um, When something makes you afraid, whether it's a lot of people that you don't know, or there was a really loud noise, my kids hate fireworks, Granted, one almost went off. It did go off under the swing we were sitting on, so they have reason to be terrified. They watch them in the van now. It's fine. Um, but so this, this thing happens, right? And so these kids freak out, and then they become like these magic little spider monkeys, and you're like, you could do jumping jacks, and they aren't going anywhere. You know what I'm talking about? When they like, are like choke holding you, right? And you just can't like shake them off. They're like latched on, right? And now as a parent, I love when my children cling to me that way right? When, when they know I'm going to protect them, I'll, I'll take the firework for them, right? Like, I'm going to do everything I can to make it right. I want you guys, when you're going through hardships, too, this may sound awful, but choke hold Jesus, be that magical little spider monkey and cling tightly to him. And I think that he's delighted just as I'm delighted when my child clings to me. He wants you to cling to him when you are in hardship. So how do we do this? And I think the first thing that Paul tells us is to love well. See, we're supposed to increase and abound in love. Even if you're doing good, you can always do better, right? So he says increase and abound in love. He wants them to love excessively. Why? John 13 35 says, by this, by their love, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So we should love well because that's how people know that we are his disciples, right? So what does love look like? If I have to like define it for you, well, let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. And the fruit of the Spirit that are here, right? And the fruit of the Spirit means evidence of the Holy Spirit within you, right? If the Holy Spirit is within you, you will bear fruit, and this is what it looks like, and this is how you love. You will be patient and kind, generous, humble, meek, respectful, selfless, peaceful, forgiving. You will delight in holiness and truth. You will protect, trust, hope, and persevere. When we do those things, then we love well. And when we love well, then people see Jesus in us. So what does it mean to love like that? See, that love, it's supposed to translate into action. It means that you love even when it's really hard because the person hurt your feelings. It means that you love even when it's inconvenient and you've got a million other things that you need to do, that you pause that to love someone well. It means that even when it's not returned, oh, well, the last time I did that, they didn't care, or they, they didn't even acknowledge what I did for them. It means that you love them anyway. Paul wanted them, and I think he wants us always to grow in love. So we're supposed to love well. We're also supposed to live well. What does that mean? Well, holiness. In verse 13, establish hearts blameless and holiness. And what does that mean? Just be more like Jesus. See, the result of loving well is is to be holy. It's to look more like Jesus. It's to reflect Him better better imitators of him. And so often like we get caught up in these conversations, oh that sounds legalistic that you're supposed to do these things. No, like our obedience to his commands is a response to his love for us. If we really do love him, then we're gonna do what he says. In fact, 1 John chapter 2 verse 3 through 6 say this, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If we love Jesus, we do what he says, right? And so we're going to live well. And then lastly, we are supposed to hope well. What does that mean? It's talking about faith. In verse 13, um, Paul talks about this hope. And what is the hope in? It's in the hope of Jesus coming, right? It's in the hope that the things that you're believing are true and that you can put your trust in them. You can be confident in that. And if you're feeling kind of hopeless, then I would point you to the book of Hebrews because it is a book that is chock full of people that hoped in hardships, examples and testimonies and encouragement about hoping well and faith. Read with me Hebrews ten thirty two through 38. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. You see that again? It's echoed all throughout scripture. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. See the being with people? It's in Hebrews too. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, see it's that action part, right? When you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be known as a Jesus follower that shrinks back. I want to be known as one that embraces the awkward to love well, to live well, and to hope well for the sake of the gospel. So I want to challenge you guys with something specific. Oftentimes we, we leave you with thoughts to ponder. I, I want to ask you to do something tonight um, because we embrace the awkward together, right? Um, I want to ask you, first of all, does hardship drive you deeper or does it pull you away? As, as I'm talking, are you experiencing hardship? And how is that impacting your faith? And whether you are or you aren't, how are you preparing for hardship? Okay, Shandy, well, what does it look like to prepare for hardship? It means to read your Bible, right? It means to spend some time in prayer and in Christian community. It means to hope well and to live well and to love well, because that helps us prepare for hardship. See, this church was prepared. They didn't ignore the reality that hardship was coming. And because of that, in this hardship... They flourished instead of suffered. So what is this challenge that I'm asking you? First of all, it's a privilege to step into people's lives. And it's also really important for you to allow people to step into yours. Right? We can't ask people to let us into their life if we won't let people into ours. So my first call to action and charge is what do you do about what you see? Or do you even have eyes to see? The people that are around you? And what do you do about it? When the Holy Spirit prompts you to do something, do you just like, oh, maybe, like, or do you respond, and do you act? I was so proud of one of my high school students. She was texting me last night. She's like, hey, I'm really worried about a friend. Um, his mental health isn't well, and you know what she did last night? She went and got her parents and asked them to pray with her for her friend, and then they drove her over to check on him and make sure she, he was okay. Because she was doing something about what she saw. So what do you do about what you see? Maybe you're thinking of a person or a situation right now. Someone that you know is going through a really hard time or a hardship or is just having a really rough day. Or maybe you have no idea why, but God is planting this person in your mind. You're like, okay, well, I haven't thought about them in like six years. Okay, well, he's putting that there for a reason. So what are you going to do about it? So as we close in worship tonight, text them. Go out in the lobby and call them. They don't answer, leave them a voicemail. Or, I've got all my stationery from my office on the table in the back. Go grab a card and write them a note. Don't have their address? Okay, you can text them a picture of what you write them if you want to. Are they here tonight? Give it to them before they leave. Do something. If you're thinking about someone that is going through hardship, don't just be aware about it, but take action. Or maybe you need to take some time tonight and pray for them. Come to the altar and pray. Pray in your seat. Or maybe you're the one that needs to ask for encouragement. Maybe you are the one that's in hardship or having a hard time. Even if you don't know why, you're just kind of struggling. And maybe you need to ask for some encouragement. So as the worship team comes up, I want you guys to be thinking about that. We're going to have a crew of people in the back over here that are happy to pray with you. Or maybe you feel more comfortable going and asking someone else to pray for you. We want to be invited in and to press into your life. And we want you to press into ours. What's stopping you guys? Are you, you wanting to be self-sufficient? Is it pride? Is it not wanting to be embarrassed? Is it being afraid of being vulnerable? I want to encourage you guys to act and to cling. And part of that starts with being vulnerable as a community and being responsive to the things that the Holy Spirit is prompting you with.